All right, hi everyone. Welcome to Safety Last. So, I have the first repeat guest. How are you doing, Chris? And how Good. do you feel about being the first repeat guest? I'm I'm actually honored. Like I I'm going out <laughs> with friends l- later tonight, and they asked me wh- why I couldn't come for an earlier pregame, and I said, "Well, I'm uh I'm appearing on a podcast." <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, they'll all be listening too. Yep, you put this on your resume. Um, this is actually probably it's probably. I'm not sure if it's an insult to be the first repeat guest of my of my podcast. You probably have to find more things to do. Um, the fact that you're back <laughs> on, but it, I'm glad to have you back on. And um, let's talk about um, today's topic, which is uh, I've just noticed more of a anti-capitalist message in films. And I was just thinking about like who can I talk to? This? talk about this too and i just and your name popped up and i was like oh i can talk about this with chris um and i sent you a message and i said you know with um films like parasite or no man's land nomad's land sorry there just seems to be this wave that criticizes the economic structures but i i did jump ahead of myself um and i did tell myself before we jump into this i would like you to say a few things in french like you did last time. <laughs> so, are you ready to accept right. this challenge? Yes, yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. First thing I want you to say is, I am about to go shopping later, and I need to buy some food. Je vais aller magasiner plus tard, et j'ai besoin d'acheter de nourriture. Ah, that's such a pleasant language, man. <laughs> Um, all right. Second thing, uh, I'll get. We'll do three. Second thing, I'd like you to say is, I've run out of chewing gum. Can I have some of yours? Oh my! I don't actually know how to say chewing gum, but I, I think it's. Gum. Can you say lolly? I I can go with candy. Yeah. J'ai pas plus de de bonbons. Puis je vois une de la vôtre. You know what's interesting? You could say like. Like you could have said, I like beating people, and I would have no idea because <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't speak a lick of French. Um, okay, last thing before we jump into this uh, mess, in, sorry, to this podcast is, could you say I'm appearing on the best podcast ever, and I love it? <laughs> okay, uh, je serai sur le meilleur podcast de tout le monde et je l'aime beaucoup. Ah. Chris, you didn't have to say that. How nice of you. <laughs> uh, okay, cool, man. I appreciate that. Um, so, well, let's... well, well. Excuse me here. You're actually really putting me on the spot because last time <laughs> I, I showed this podcast to my sister, who whose French is, I would say, is a little better than mine, and mm-hmm. and she made mm-hmm. a point of saying I didn't actually say it is raining. I said the sky was crying, and I was like, oh no, oh no, this is so Wait, embarrassing. That, that's so much more poetic. I would much prefer you to say the sky is crying <sighs> than it's raining. Yeah. But I, I guess, isn't that just what rain is, if you think about it? Like, I guess. I guess I it's panicked. just the sky crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, um, yeah, I completely understand that. Uh, I am in this, like, philosophy book club, which mm-hmm. started because of the lockdown in sydney and every week we read carl jung's book uh called axon no aeon aeon sorry i forgot the name of the, the book it's called aeon and there was this discussion about danger and opportunity and for anyone who doesn't know um the chinese word 
uh, Wei Xian, I believe that's how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. contains both danger and opportunity. So for the Chinese, these two ideas are synonymous. So danger is accompanied by opportunity and opportunity is accompanied by danger. And I told them that fact and they're like, oh, that's really cool. How do you say it? And my reaction is like, oh, oh Lord, <laughs> I know I know this fact, but I forgot the name. So I, I said something which was somewhat close and I searched it up and I was like, oh, that's not the word. But I was too embarrassed to tell them. So <laughs> so next week, I'm, going, I'm just going to drop it, like name drop it um, and say the actual right version. And then they won't know because none of them speaks Chinese. And right, right. my reputation is, you know, good. Intact. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I thought we'd jump into this week's idea or this week's podcast, which is a growing anti-capitalist trend within, you could say, social media or you could say social movements like Black Lives Matter and stuff like this, which have some mm-hmm. association with anti-capitalism mm-hmm. and also how this manifests itself in film and literature because to me it's quite strange that hollywood or even south korea which is quite capitalist would produce these films in a capitalist system through capitalist means which tend to address or deconstruct uh capitalism so what's your take on that yeah um first take was when you when you mentioned this to me and asked me to do this, I was like, yeah, this sounds something that's super interesting to me because I, I've had a similar sentiment, obviously with, with Bong Joon-ho coming into, I guess, the spotlight of light. Like a lot of Korean Korean filmmakers, like um, like Lee, Lee, Chang, Lee Chang Dong or the, the man who did Burning. Uh-huh, yep. yep. Yeah, or... I was about uh, to mention that as well. Yeah, yeah, and like... Uh, like uh, old boy or the the vengeance trilogy also has some undertones of like this class thing going on and of late once again like you mentioned uh, wait i have notes here uh yeah so sorry to bother you for example was one i really really enjoyed of late this was in a, a hollywood film and i i do i too agree i've been seeing a lot of this so yeah excited to, ch- to chat about it the first time i really noticed this because it has been this idea which is touched base with me and then left and then touched back with me and then left. But when I realized in 2019, Parasite won or just like swept a lot of the Oscars, uh, which by the way, Asian Twitter went crazy when mm-hmm. that happened, by the way, so shout out to Asian Twitter. Um, when Parasite won, it uh, they won the Oscars. And then in 2020, Nomad's Land won Best Pictures as well. So... When I saw that, my reaction was, wait, these are two years in a row where the films criticize the economic structures and economic inequality. And for anyone who hasn't watched Nomad's Land, actually, Chris, have you watched Nomad's Land? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, um, do you want to give us a bit of a summary? Yeah, it's it's filmed almost as though it was a, it was a documentary. Like, the style is very, very realistic i would say and the lighting is very like like i don't know something like malik would do it's very a lot of natural lighting it was very very pretty um and it follows a woman who is has been displaced from her from her original home where she owned property because it became a ghost town and she basically lives in in like a camper van and has been 
traveling across the United States, picking up work where she can, including like Amazon fulfillment sites. And yeah, just documents her life and her journey in, in like middle America, I guess. And I would say this film also deconstructs this idea, which has been a big part of the American consciousness, which is meritocracy. The idea that if you work hard, you try hard, you put yourself out there, then you will succeed. The rules of America or the rules of capitalism allow those who work hard or who have the best ideas to naturally move up. And this seems to contradict that because she's obviously a hard worker. She at one point goes to this uh, government employee and says, I want to work. Please give me work. And the government employee says, you know, I'm unable to do so. I just don't have that ability to give you work right now because of the economy. And it just zooms into the life of this smaller individual. And it seems to show what happens when you end up on the margins of society. And for her, it seems like it's both a cultural marginization because she's quote unquote homeless. She's in a van moving left and right. And also there's an economic marginalization. So what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I, I do want to clarify a point. You mentioned the American ideal of like meritocracy. And so I obviously am from Canada. And I think that that, that idea still permeates to, to the northern side of the border that like the meritocracy, there's a lot of belief in it in, in Canada as well. Do you want to expand on that? It's like as like the West believes in this meritocracy. Well, like is that also prevalent in Australia? I'm just, just curious. So actually. I do think it is prevalent in Australia. However, I would say it seems to be less prevalent in European countries, which have more of a socialist economic structure and a socialist uh, leaning. So because of that, I was a little hesitant to say West. And it's not like these ideas don't exist in Japan or in Asia or in mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. parts of the Middle East. So I do think it is a common idea, but... I just think it's more prevalent in America. And, and you could say Canada. And with Europe, I don't think it's as strong. Oh, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think, like, obviously, America has the most undiluted form of this ideal. And and I think it's definitely uh, not as strong in, in Canada or in Australia. And, and yeah, and once again, much less so in, in non-English speaking Europe. And, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, no, I just wanted to touch on that briefly, but um, I guess back to your question about the the American dream and meritocracy, and I, I think I agree because oh, I forgot what the woman's name in the film, was it Pam? Yeah, it, I think so. Okay, okay, yeah, well, like like you mentioned, she was a hard worker, and she, she also has this pride about her, right? Like, there have been many times when her, when her family or that man she met asked her to settle down and just stop moving. And she, she wanted to be self-reliant. She wanted not to have to have to depend on someone. And I think within that, there's also a bit of the, the American dream or, or the idea of meritocracy where she wants to be her own person. And if you're not, if you're taking what, what she might've considered handouts, then, you know, you lose your livelihood, you lose your sort of, your sense sense of person so i think that's maybe in a sense that was that was one of the takeaways i had from it where where you have these people who are unwilling to seek this sort of help 
or willing, unwilling to seek what they perceive as charity, like middle America who votes very, very red, like that, that, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. And it is interesting that those states, which generally tend to be poorer, vote uh, Republican and which is generally against social handouts or social benefits, et cetera, like that. There was one point in the film that really struck me, which is you go from the main character who I think we said her name is Pan or Pam or something like that. She is seen struggling in society. So she's unable to get work and then it transitions. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but it transitions to her on tour. And she's being led by a tour guide who's just explaining the stars. Do you remember the scene? Yes. Was it? And there was a dinosaur. Was that it? Exactly. Yep. Yes. Okay. And to me, it was so interesting because you see this woman just almost being exploited for her labor. She works a job, but it's not enough to actually provide anything. And it also brings up images or stories of people who work like two or three jobs and they still can't really pay for the essentials. And on the other hand, the tool guide says something which really stuck out to me and something that I believe, which is the stars up there, those atoms and those chemicals are what formed you. And obviously the, the main character listening to that that would apply to her. So she is obviously made of stardust, which is a pretty popular metaphor, a pr pretty popular mm -hmm. image that a lot of people have heard of before. Mm -hmm. But it was such, it was so interesting to me that that's true. And yet this collection of stardust just basically can't find a place to live. So this contrast between like the magic of life, but also how dehumanizing the working system is, really struck me in that scene yeah um i how how recently did you watch nomadland it was around i think it was around three months ago and okay. i actually recorded a podcast about no man's land by myself i haven't released it just because i realized that i think if i just speak for 30 minutes people will get bored and they'll fall asleep so <laughs> that's why i said you know let's actually bring someone else and get you to contradict or agree with my ideas and hopefully get some uh, a variety of thoughts yeah no but i was just thinking that you were a that that stuck with you for for three months and even though it wasn't as poignant for me or having watched it over half a year ago that i still was able to remember it i think yeah i think you're absolutely right in that it was a it was quite powerful and do you think there is a growing trend in hollywood to talk about these issues and do you just think it's a part of a larger movement such as black lives matter uh just worker strikes um even greta thunberg i think in a way mm -hmm. even her climate change policies her climate change talks and her activism seems to be attacking the economics that produce such waste or that put money over the environment do you think this is just a general surge in a certain direction where because of the mood of people, you get films like Snowpiercer, which you mentioned before, uh, comes from the same director of Parasite, and then Nomad's Land, and then other films. I think it's a film or a TV series. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a film called Us, I think, 
Yes, um, yes, that was uh, that was a film. Yes, yeah, George and, and yeah, exactly. And what was interesting, I was listening to some other person talk about it on YouTube, and so the title is called Us, but you know, if you read it out, out loud, it's U.S. Mm-hmm. So is that a commentary on the United States? Wow. So I think I think there was a lot there. Um, well, so to address your, your, your first question, once again, I do think there has been a shift towards more also more blatantly anti-capitalist films. So like, so in, in the vein of us, like the Korean films you mentioned, Sorry to Bother You, Nomadland. Um, I, I, and I think there has always been this anti-business person, anti-Wall Street sentiment that's been very prevalent, right? Like you've you have Wall Street, the big short, Wolf of Wall Street, like, um, like, I don't know, even in like Jurassic Park, like business bad, or like, or like Avatar, district. you could say. Yeah, yeah. There's always been this generally, these undertones have always existed. But now it's like front and center. Like the premise of the movie is like very clearly class sort of warfare. And like, like, for example, us is like, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't know if once again, if my viewing of us necessarily is correct, but I viewed it as because you have the, the, the regular family, um, and it's a black family and they have a cottage and their, their friends are white. And, um, in, in my head, the way I viewed it was that it, it's to call out the, the wealthy African-Americans who have, who are who have just essentially, for lack of a better term, forgotten about their people. And once again, as an African American, obviously I have no no grounds. Sorry, as not as someone who's not a part of the community, I have no grounds to making sort of statements. But like that's the way I view view that film. And like you know, everyone else who's forgotten and the underclass. So you know what's interesting? Uh, sorry, go mm-hmm. on. No, no, no the, the, go for it. Uh, you know what's interesting? These ideas of people moving up a ladder a hierarchy and then forgetting about their identity or the demographic also exist in asian culture or asian communities i mean this is not particularly strange because the asian community is so large but there seems to be some sort of resentment and i don't think it's particularly wrong between southeast asians and east asians Mm -hmm. where east asians get so much more media representation and, you know, Taiwanese, Japanese, Koreans tend to just earn more money, whilst mm-hmm. Southeast Asians have, I would say, generally worse media representation and also tend not to be as affluent. And there seems to be some tension there as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think it's very, once again, for, for many people who might have been in, in, in the West or just, you know, racism, Asian is just Asian, but like, in, in, in Asia, there's also this very distinct, like racial sort of hierarchy that is this very racist system. And it's where, where Asians, like you mentioned, Asians from Southeast Asia are, te- are, are viewed as lesser. And it's, it's reinforced by the, the fact that um, the con- Southeast Asian countries as a whole are, are poorer. And many of, of them, of people from those countries will work in the more affluent countries as domestic laborers, as immigrant workers, just reinforcing this sort of, this sort of stereotype. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And 
Um, in Hong Kong, for example, a lot of the maids and servants, uh, do you know what nationality they are? I would assume Filipino or Filipino. Yep. A lot of them or almost all of them are Filipino. And I was actually speaking to a friend and she said, uh, she was commenting on BTS and she said, part of BTS success is, well, I guess they're good songwriters and stuff, but they are East Asian. They have pale skin and they've been able to almost blend into this idea that white skin or, or pale skin equals better. Like, Try to imagine BTS if they were like super dark uh, Vietnamese people or Indonesian people. It's just harder to imagine because there's almost this idea that East Asia, and I'm not sure if it's correct, maybe it is incorrect, but with K-pop and stuff, they can almost blend into these pre-established ideas of what beauty is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I'm not sure this is if this is what you're driving at, but I would be, I would caution to like, differentiate between the idea of pale skin being beautiful as one thing and as pale skin being beautiful because it is adjacent to Caucasians. Um, I'm not sure if if that was what you were driving at, but like I've heard lots of people make this sort of make the sort of claim and I feel like pale skin in various societies in various Asian societies has always been considered considered a sign of beauty because you know, you don't have to work in the fields, you stay inside, even in, even in like South Asia, even in like the, in India and Pakistan, people with paler skin were considered more, more beautiful for, because they were aristocracy, they, they got less tanned. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree with that. And I think it's, well, I don't know, Blackpink has Lisa in it. So they have that going for uh, Southeast Asia. <laughs> but she's, from what I know, her skin is pretty pale, right? Yeah. I, I don't actually watch that much K-pop, but yeah, I, 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 would, I would figure, yes, probably mm. to appeal to Korean society, I learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get back to the previous comments uh, with things like Snowpiercer and Parasite and Us and all these other films which seem to contradict or criticize the capitalist system. Is it ironic that Hollywood and South Korea are creating these films? Like, is there a sense of performative aspect to it? So these films criticize the economic structures, but yet they seem very ingrained into it. Is there a sense of irony there, or are they trying to do the best that they can do? Well, I'd actually love to get your thoughts on this too, but uh, mine are, I think that it's, I think that they're important, even though they work within the, this capitalist structure, this, this sort of film industry. I think they are, some of them are, are a little more independent. They're, they're by lesser known directors. Um, and it's like that owning liberals thing like, oh, where are you tweeting these anti-capitalist memes from? Your phone, your iPhone, mm-hmm. those made by capitalism, mm-hmm. get owned liberals. Like, like <laughs> I, I think even if you're within the system, you, you have to find a way to, to make a protest, right? And you, you you're already trapped in the system and I think it's perfectly valid to use the apparatus that is already there to, to make, to make your point. I agree with that. And I think, I do think there is a performative aspect to it because these Mm -hmm. Hollywood films can take the moral high ground by criticizing capitalism. It's really like Apple or actually I saw this when I was in Europe and it stuck to me. There was this bank 
which was celebrating i forgot the name of the bank but it was in london somewhere and they were celebrating gay marriage by putting like two gay men holding hands opening up like a bank loan together Mm -hmm. and i just remember thinking like this company has completely stolen and assimilated ideas of marriage equality into this economic structure so i do think companies do purposely try to do this they take on these social movements like pepsi i'm not like ferguson or or milwaukee or wherever Mm, those riots were it showed um is it kendall jenner or kylie jenner one of the kardashians and she was drinking pepsi or giving it to like a riot police and in reality those riot police were beating people's ass so it was just such a contrast and i do think some companies some hollywood films some directors do want the moral high ground by pushing that message but not really being against the system that being said everything you you said i I do agree with which is there is no way to really produce a film that or produce art that gets so mainstream without relying on some parts of the economic system yeah yeah um and i I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying too with the idea of um corporations like sort of co-opting these these movements like i have i have a lot of quite leftist friends everywhere and one of them posted a a soundbite a while back where it was like you know um environmentalism without without class consciousness is just gardening and i'm like honestly (laughs) you see enough (laughs) you see enough stuff that's greenwashed as to be environmentally friendly that's definitely true but yeah, well, yeah, but I feel like lots of these films still are, like, I don't know, I think, once again, Bong Joon-ho is, is quite well known, but even then, most of his, mo- his entire portfolio has been very, like, Snowpiercer, Okja have all been kind of anti-capitalist. Chloe Zhao, I, I had not even heard of before Nomadland, mm-hmm. but... Um, Same here. I, I, she, she sold out to Marvel, though, so <laughs> she's directing The Eternals. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I think once again, like they're, my perspective is that these are independent artists trying to get their point across, maybe trying to open some people's eyes to what's going on out there. Um, In in, along the way, a big studio picks it up, but that just means more exposure. And yeah. And do you think this wave of anti-capitalist films will continue uh because for me and i'd love to get your opinion as a canadian who lived right above uh, america but it seems like the internet's shift to the right really peaked with donald trump's election almost like the internet was like haha let's just get this random dude in and then it, it really peaked around 2016 2017 and even Trump, in my opinion, seemed to ride this anger towards the economic and political elites, such as Clinton, who have been in power for like you know, 20, 30 years uh, with Bill Clinton and then Hillary Clinton afterwards. Even he seemed to channel this anti-economic um, or anti-politically elite anger. But ever since then, you just don't see these ha-ha feminist-wrecked YouTube montages that you would see everywhere from 2015, 14 to 16 and 17. It seems like with the rise of 
left-wing channels on YouTube or even Greta Thunberg and these figures, whether it's ContraPoints, there seems to be a move against it. So firstly, do you think there is a shift on the internet uh, towards the left? And also, what do you think that means for the change in cinema? Do you think cinema will continue this trend of being critical to capitalism? Hmm. Yes. So to address your first one, I think, I think you've always, the internet has always been dominated by like men sitting in their parents' basements. And I think <laughs> th- that that always tends to lean right. And, and mm-hmm. you, you have a couple tankies here and there, but um, I think once again, like, like you mentioned, I think it's recently with, maybe it's because the younger generation is getting on, on the internet and starting to produce content, more politically aware content, young, the young, younger generation that has realized that the system ha- has failed them effectively, that you know they, they can work and probably will never own property in their lives, um, have pushed this to the forefront. And, and short answer is yes, I do agree. I think I've seen a lot more content and I think it's affecting me too. I think I've become a lot more left-leaning of late as a result of consuming all this content. And yeah, and, and to, to address your point about movies, um, I'm I'm not sure. I think two points right now, two points isn't that isn't necessarily a trend yet between the two uh, the two best pictures, but you do have um, there, and I think there's like little. There are fewer anti-capitalist movies coming out of Hollywood these days um, than you know your your Marvel big pictures, your Star Wars reboots, your Fast and Furious. But like I mentioned earlier, there's always been this sort of undercurrent of businessman bad, um, Wall Street bad. And I think that that it's shifting towards more blatant, obvious representations of the class divide is, is, is a good thing. And I, I, don't, I don't see it necessarily picking up, but I don't necessarily see it going away anytime soon either. Mm. I am just trying to think of films like Wolf of Wall Street or even... I don't know the name of this film, but I know the saying, which is always be closing. Do you know the name of that film? Yes. Oh, Glenn Gary Ross, Glenn, something like something. that. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And I, just to me, like that film, if it came out today, would just be so culturally out of place. Oh, like God. it just feels so 90s, like um, Ronald Reagan, Reaganomics. Yes. It just completely feels like from that era and there's one scene in particular like i've seen scenes of this on youtube uh, because the acting is great whether yes, or not you like the message um and there's one point where the main character walks up to i'm guessing a lesser character and then he says you know why am, why am i more important than you because my watch costs more than your car and you can see the person he's speaking to just shut down almost and feel this sense of fear but if you set that today in like one of the movies you're like this character i hate him who is this person saying speaking like this and it just feels so out of place and um one more thing before i throw it over to you so as a high school teacher obviously i'm interacting with younger students and something i've noticed is firstly they are noticeably more left-wing and they're also noticeably more politically active than I was and maybe that's not strange because the younger generation tend to be left-wing generally 
Uh, they tend to be more anti-hierarchy, anti-structure. Makes sense because they're young. Um, but I, I do see this political awareness and also with what you're saying about the economic system has screwed them because they can't own houses. There is another real fear that I see, which is the world is going to burn in 30, 40 years. So we need to change the system because I want to see a giraffe. I want to see a rhino. I want my children to see a hippopotamus or a koala. And I think that fear of, climate change cannot be divorced from the economic system and as as long as this fear interweaves i think art is and will keep moving that way especially art from the younger generation um i mean when I, i'm glad the younger generation is more left and when I, when I was in high school i was still oof, I, I i don't know i think i read uh, alice drug in grade 11 and by the time i got to college i was watching like that scene from always be closing Ben Affleck speech from the boiler room. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the stuff. Like I want to make <laughs> money. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I I'm glad. And I think if this is the way that's like, once again, I think I'm, I am more left-leaning than I was back then. And I'm, I'm just, I guess I've nothing constructive, but I'm very, very happy to hear that. And, um, are they, are your students, watching this sort of stuff consuming this sort of uh not just films but also like tiktoks and like these twitter posts i guess i think so because uh from what i know and granted i don't have tiktok so uh there's a lot i don't know but there seems to be a big black lives matter movement there once again mm -hmm. i could be completely wrong but i remember there was this one student that i had which was quite open in his support for donald trump so this is in australia and you know to be honest i guess my reaction was always like well if you want to be i you know i'm not going to like get put you on detention like i just don't think i have that right so mm -hmm. if you if you make an argument and whatever then okay that's cool but it seems like even when he was saying it like in being quite openly for donald trump there were other people in the class that i was just like i guess like oh here we go again right. and I don't see the same like anti-feminist rhetoric that I did on in 2015. And that to me is pretty big. Like people like Ben Shapiro, who have always been these little stars um, on the right wing, mm -hmm. they seem to be more and more replaced by left wing uh, people or political commentators. And there was recently some just discussion or media uh talk about this left-wing like hassan guy who i've seen a few of his youtube videos he's the left-wing guy and he just criticizes certain people and he speaks from the left and he recently bought a house or something like that so i guess what i'm just seeing in media is there is a move left and and i don't think the things like snowpiercer and parasite are just blips in the cultural consciousness i do see a move that way particularly with the climate change issue okay okay i think um i think it's super interesting that that climate change is also the top for mind maybe it's maybe it's because you're in australia where there's more where i think there's like a, a big hole in the ozone layer above you guys or 
Yep. <laughs> and, and Isn't he, that great? <laughs> yeah, and you guys have a lot more nature too, like, you know, spiders the size of dinner plates. But like... Wait, wait, wait. Can we... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm going to call time out on that. <laughs> See, this is such a ingrained cultural understanding about Australia. I was in Europe and the, like the three things I heard was like, hey, do you ride kangaroos to school? And the second thing is like, I don't want to go to Australia because I know I'll be get eaten by a spider. And the third thing I heard was like, why don't you speak like Crocodile Dundee? Like, these are the three <laughs> things I heard over and over again. I've never seen a spider the size of a dinner plate. I've seen some pretty big spiders, but I'm pretty terrified of them as well. So just okay. repping repping the country um <laughs> some okay. of these stereotypes are a little exaggerated well, well next thing you'll be telling me drop bears aren't real they yeah <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> but um yeah yeah no i just like i know i just think it's super it's it's like great that it's on top of your mind because as much as environmentalism is is important and i do recognize that as an issue it just never really figured into my politics at all I've always viewed as envir- the environment being secondary to to the people. And, you know, who are we to say these developing nations stop polluting, et cetera, et cetera. But once again, it's it, if we don't have the environment, we don't have anything going forward. So that that's that, first of all, I think is was a big um, is, is re- it's, re- it's good to hear that people are concerned about the environment. I think the term is actually climate anxiety, where there's okay. this anxiety about what will happen in 10, 20, 30 years. And honestly, I feel like I have this. And I was teaching this geography class, and I was just showing this clip of David Attenborough. And there was this clip in the documentary which showed the percentage of the world that was covered by rainforest. Mm-hmm. And then it would jump forward 10, 20, 30 years. And then that percentage would go from 60 to 40. And then it jumped forward another like 20, 20, 30 years and it goes down to like 25. And it's just terrifying because you know that there are some people who are profiting so much. And I I would say even the things that the jokes online about Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Zuck and even Bezos, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's just me and I'm just wishful, but there seems to be a pushback against these figures uh not so much for elon musk who it seems like the libertarian party and the right uh even the left actually has like adopted him as some cultural icon probably because he's associated with dogecoin and he dates like a weird girlfriend uh musician but it seems like with bezos and with zuckerberg and all these other people there's like a general mistrust yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, I don't know. I spent a lot of time, like, once again, in my in my uh, libertarian objectivism phase, worshipping Elon Musk as, you know, like, as a, as a Randian hero. He's just doing what people say he can't, and he's doing it well. And nowadays, even Musk, as well as, of course, everyone else, have just, honestly, everyone got lucky. They're, they're part of the environment. I can't deny that they worked hard, but that they have this much money, it's definitely not um, purely uh, their own labor. It's it's their labor, exploiting everyone else's labor, using a system that allowed that to compound. And once again, I don't necessarily think it's their fault as an individual. You can't 
you can't hate the player. You have to blame the game, and the, and there's something wrong mm-hmm. with with the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but once well, yeah, so I think the the often I'll see hatred or you know, vitriol directed at these individuals isn't necessarily. I, I don't necessarily think that's right. I think they could do well with giving. Like Mackenzie Bezos is doing well. She's given actually given a lot of her wealth away. Yeah, I, I think it's like like you mentioned. It's 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 to do with the system, and it's people realizing that the system is broken. Mm. And I guess why I wanted to talk about this was there's a fear of mine. There's part of me which is excited, which is we're producing more art, which obviously reflects the social consciousness, which criticizes an unfair economic system. So I'm very happy because of that. But there's also a part of me, um, and maybe we'll end with this. There's a part of me which is a little scared because Hollywood is so a part of that economic system and part of me feels like will Hollywood co-opt these social messages of reform and economic change and do it in a way where they will just take the social credit they will just take the allure of these movements this moral high ground without actually pushing for real change and I think just seeing these two films win Best Pictures, part of me is like, wait, is there an actual move in cinemas around the world, cinema companies or environments to produce these films? And if so, will they remain true to the message? And I do think films like Parasite and even No Man's Land do genuinely criticize the system. So maybe I'm just being a little paranoid. Now that once again, now that we're back to the idea of, of a film as like a as like a complex as an industry, have you have you seen Hail Caesar? It's a it's a Coen Brothers film. I have not. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it, it's it's like all over the place, just Coen Brothers silliness. But there's this basically the premise is that there's these communists in in it's like set in like 1950s Hollywood, and there's these communists. We're trying to infiltrate the studio system in there, um, and I, I don't know. I, I prefer to see it in, in, in that sort of way, like that. That what it is is that there are people with leftist political beliefs and who are choosing to use this industry, the the apparatus of, of capitalism, to as 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 their megaphone to get their message across, and. Um, yeah, I, that's that's what I want to believe. Mm. Well, hopefully we can get some of these films out there uh, because I do think they have a message. And this recent wave and this recent move amongst some of the younger generation does give me hope that one day we'll you know put things like the environment and health above the economic system. So you know, one can only hope. But to me, I do think we are moving in the right direction. Awesome. And right now, my politics think so too. My politics are all over the place. But yes, right now, I am in full accord. Mm. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Chris, um, for jumping on and being the first repeat guest and just hearing me blabble. Honestly, this is just a thought that had been in my mind for a while. And I'm like, I need to speak about this with someone. So thank you for, you know, rolling with the punches and contributing. Thanks for having me, Stanley. It's always a pleasure. It's always great talking to you. All right, cool. We'll wrap it up. And to the audience, thank you once again for tuning in to Safety Last. 
Hope you enjoyed and I'll catch you later. Thank you for tuning in to Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.